Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. GX on Agriculture. With Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, research scientists are working on a project to develop a weed competitiveness rating for barley, which would be useful for both farmers and plant breeders. We'll hear from Dr. Brianne Tideman, who is a weed specialist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Lacombe, Alberta. In 2021, many prairie farmers were stuck with penalties when they couldn't deliver grain and oilseed to the companies they had contracts with due to a widespread drought. Janelle Whiteley is the Senior Manager of Trade and Marketing Policy with the Canadian Canola Growers Association. She was a guest speaker on Sask Wheat's Wheat Profit podcast, and she will talk about the guide they've published on navigating grain contracts. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. Research scientists are working on a project to develop a weed competitiveness rating for barley, which would be useful for both farmers and plant breeders. Thirteen varieties are included in the three-year study, which is entering the second year. There are five malting barley varieties, four six-row varieties for forage and feed, as well as four two-row feed barley varieties. Dr. Brianne Tideman is a weed specialist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Lacombe, Alberta. As a weed scientist, when we're giving integrated weed management talks and encouraging use of cultural management of weeds, one of the things you'll often hear us say is to grow a competitive variety but we don't actually have a measure available to producers of which varieties are competitive and which aren't. So they don't have a way to actually implement that strategy. And so what we're trying to do is actually develop an index that could eventually go into something like a seed guide where a producer could open it up, look at the maturity, look at the disease ratings, and oh, hey, look at the weed competitiveness as well to actually make that a strategy that they can practically put into the field. She says the research is being done at four sites, including two in Saskatoon. Yeah, exactly. So we're at four sites, Lethbridge and Lacombe in Alberta, and then two in Saskatoon. Um, And so three of us, so Lethbridge, Lacombe, and one of the Saskatoon sites are using a diverse weed community. And then we have the four site at the U of S is um, using a single sort of weed representative. And the reason for that is just as weed scientists, we like all the weeds. We'd love to do that. But to actually move this to a realistic where the industry could do this as part of regional variety trials or as part of a nursery or something like that, Unless you're a weed scientist, you don't want to plant all those weeds. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to come up with, could you just use something like a volunteer canola or something like that, just a single species, and still get the same kind of results from that, just to make actually doing these tests in the future a little easier. Because what we'd like to see done would be taking varieties that are, are close to being registered and actually have some of that screening done on them before registration so that when they're going into those seed guys as a registered product, again, we've got that data on, on their competitiveness. 
Tideman believes the research will help out plant breeders. So we are um, looking at different traits in the variety. So trying to link sort of our competitiveness to is it, you know, how fast it comes out of the ground? Is it the leaf width? Is it the height? What is actually giving that variety that competitive edge? So that hopefully someone like Aaron could then take that information and go, oh, hey, if we get really fast germination, that actually helps with competitiveness. And if they were so interested in their program, they could actually build that in and start breeding uh, more competitive varieties as well. She says their first year of research is wrapped up and there's two more years to go. Yeah, so we just finished our first field season and we're still in the process of processing all those samples and then I'll be getting the data to do the analysis on it. And we've got two more field seasons yet to do, hopefully get some different weather conditions and and everything at the different site years to make sure that those results are representative. We'll be analyzing it and then we'll, we'll have to pitch it to the industry too and see if they're actually willing to take on this type of idea to incorporate into something like a seed guide. Brianne Tideman is a weed specialist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Lacombe, Alberta. Coming up, we'll speak to her about another project involving plant growth regulators, or PGRs. But first, it's time for the Ag-Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag-Review. The company behind a new prairie processing plant extracting plant-based proteins from peas and canola has landed in receivership in the high eight figures debt to its secured lenders. Price Waterhouse Coopers announced Wednesday it's the receiver for both Merit Functional Foods Corporation and the numbered company that owns Merit's processing plant and property in Winnipeg's Centreport Industrial Park following an order granted in Court of King's Bench in Winnipeg. Federal Lending Agencies Export Development Canada and Farm Credit Canada filed for the order last Friday, citing principal and interest owed to them at about $58.5 million and $36.5 million, respectively. A joint venture firm with major shareholders, including Vancouver plant-based protein firm Burcon Nutriscience, major U.S. agri-food firm Bungie, and former executives of Hemp Oil Canada, Merit began suffering significant cash flow shortages between January and September last year. Farmers Business Network, or FBN, a global ag tech platform and farmer-to-farmer network, has announced its Saskatoon Fulfillment Centre is opened and started processing orders for growers across Saskatchewan and Canada. The 198,000-square-foot facility opens in time for the seeding season's delivery of crop protection, biological nutrients, and seed inputs sold by the company. Located just outside Saskatoon city limits, the facility serves as the primary fulfillment centre for FBN and supports seven logistics locations throughout the FBN network in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. With the opening of the facility, FBN now has fulfillment centers within 400 kilometers of the majority of its Canadian members. Hundreds of tractors driven by angry farmers protesting a plan to cut nitrate levels converged on Brussels today, creating major traffic disruption in Belgium's capital city. 
The BB Farmers Union and several other combined efforts to gather more than 2,700 farm vehicles. Several major roads in Brussels were closed and police warned that disruptions could last until the end of the day, recommending that people use public transportation instead of personal cars. The Flemish regional government is struggling to find a deal to cut nitrate pollution over farmers' objections that it would put many out of business. Farmers also claim that their trade has to make much deeper cuts than industry and want to see a more equitable spread. The debate over agricultural pollution is increasingly turning into a political issue in many of the EU's farming nations. It is to be a focal point of Dutch elections in two weeks' time and is also affecting Belgium, another EU nation where intensive farming has put environmentalists against the agricultural lobby. The Brazilian Agriculture Ministry says that Thailand, Iran and Jordan have temporarily suspended imports of beef from Brazil while authorities investigate a case of BSE in an animal from Para State. The ministry also confirmed that Russia has halted imports from Para State after the discovery of a BSE case there. Brazil is investigating a case of BSE in a nine-year-old male animal. Discovery of the case, communicated on February 20th, triggered a self-imposed ban on Brazilian beef sales to China. The animal was destroyed and tests are pending to determine whether it developed the classic form of the disease or was an atypical case which can occur spontaneously in all cattle populations and does not depend on ingestion of prion contaminated feed. Classic BSE is considered more serious because it involves contamination by the prion protein and could trigger wide trade bans. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has ordered improvements to infrastructure and expansion of farmland to ramp up food production amid warnings of an impending food crisis. Kim gave instructions to revamp irrigation systems, build modern farming machines, and create more arable land as he wrapped up the seventh and large plenary meeting of the ruling Workers' Party powerful Central Committee on Wednesday. The meeting began on Sunday to discuss the urgent task of improving the agricultural sector. South Korea has warned of a mounting food crisis in the isolated north, including a recent surge in deaths from hunger in some regions, due in part to what it said was a failure of a new grain policy limiting private crop transactions. North Korea's economy has been battered by floods and typhoons, sanctions over its nuclear and missile programs, and a sharp decline in trade with China amid border closures and COVID-19 lockdowns. And the U.S. government is about to announce a $25 million plan to help more Native American tribes establish herds of bison. As many as 60 million bison once roamed North America, but they were hunted to near extinction. Interior Secretary Deb Holland says the bison's slow recovery has been a conservation success and that her agency will tap into indigenous knowledge in its efforts to conserve the animals that are an icon of the American West. And that's the Ag Review portion of our program. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will return 
in one minute's time. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. It's mainly sunny and minus 3 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. As we told you earlier, research scientists are working on a project to develop a weed competitiveness rating for barley, which would be useful for both farmers and plant breeders. We've been talking to Dr. Brianne Tideman, who is a weed specialist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Lacombe, Alberta. She spoke to us about the Plant Growth Regulators Project, which are called PGRs. Plant growth regulators are chemicals that are applied to plants that change how they grow. In the sense that we're using them in in Western Canadian ag, typically we are using them to shorten the plants, which will then reduce their chance of lodging in field crops. So wheat and barley in particular are sort of the two targets that we're using them on. And the goal is to be able to up nitrogen rates and still get some increased yield, but not get the increased height and the plants falling every which way that we sometimes see when we do that. She says we're seeing increased use of these products by farmers. I would say yes. Certainly since I started working in this area, I would say use has increased. We've had some registrations, which helps with that, obviously, in terms of use. But yeah, I would say there's a lot more guys using it. It's more typical, I would say, in wheat, but we're seeing more adoption in the malt barley industry as well. Tideman discusses her research on plant growth regulators. We looked at three different PGRs, Ethafon, Chlormaquat, and Trinexapac. We use active ingredient names, I'm sorry, we don't use brand names, to look at sort of how they would affect lodging in CDC Copeland malt barley. We did all the things to try and encourage lodging. We upped nitrogen rates and we upped seeding rates, and we still had site years that didn't lodge, of course, because that's how research goes. But what we did is look at impacts on yield and lodging and things like kernel weights and percent plump and all of those types of things. And then we also sent samples to Dr. Marta Zadorchuk with the Canadian Grain Commission to look at actual malting quality of those samples as well. As for their results... A lot of variability, not the level of consistency we would have liked. So there were site years where we would see reductions in lodging from the PGR applications, but there was also the odd year where we saw increases in lodging from PGR applications. For the most part, where we saw benefits in terms of reduced height and reduced lodging would be with Ethafon and Trinexapac. However, Ethafon also tended to have some increases in days to maturity or increased tillering or um, some negative quality impacts as well. So sort of from our study, the most consistent and the one with the least negative impacts would have been Trinexapac. But it still wasn't a guarantee that if you sprayed it, it wouldn't lodge type of thing. And so our recommendations coming out of that were, you know, it's it's certainly worth a try. There could be some varietal sensitivity where the variety we chose wasn't super sensitive to PGRs and things like that. But if you're going to start looking at it on farm to make sure you're including a check strip to make sure you're getting the benefit you're desiring out of that application and, and the money you're spending on it. Tideman then outlines how a farmer can leave a check strip. From a farmer perspective, leave an area of your field not sprayed with the PGR. And hopefully that gives you at least a bit of an idea of of if that strip's going down um, where the rest of your field isn't. Or if that check strip has no lodging at all, did you really get a benefit out of that PGR? And was that because of the environment that year? Or was it because of the variety you're using? Just thinking through some of those things. If everyone around you lodged and you didn't, but you didn't in the check strip either, maybe your variety just wasn't prone to lodging or your nitrogen rate didn't put you in that risk area that year or or those kinds of things. But just being aware of of making sure you're getting a benefit out of that application because it's costing you money. 
Brianne Tideman is a weed specialist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Lacombe, Alberta. Livestock Market Conditions U.S. live cattle futures for April are trading at 165.37, up 127. June live cattle trading at 160.60, up 115. April feeder cattle trading at 195.95, that's up 210. May feeder cattle trading at 275, that's up 192. April lean hogs trading at 84.42, up 57. May lean hogs trading at 93.45, also up 57. And that's the livestock market conditions. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back right after this. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. In 2021, many prairie farmers were stuck with penalties when they couldn't deliver grain and oilseed to the companies they had contracts with due to the widespread drought. Janelle Whiteley is the Senior Manager of Trade and Marketing Policy with the Canadian Canola Growers Association. She was a guest on Sask Wheat's Wheat Profit podcast, and she talked about the guide they've published on navigating grain contracts. CCJ is a, a national association that represents canola farmers on various issues that impact their farm success. So we are made up of the different provincial canola associations. So in Saskatchewan, SAS Canola is a member of CCGA. So, you know, we generally, we promote farmer success in two ways. One, uh, we are an administrator of the uh, advanced payment program on behalf of Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. And then we also advocate um, with farmers, right from, for farmers, right from policy development, um, collaborate with industry, as well as outreach with government officials, mainly in Ottawa, so at a national level. Um, so I work in our policy development department um, or, or shop here, So, and I lead our work on marketing. So marketing for CCJ is essentially advocating for a competitive market to grow and sell canola. So grain contracts are, are you know, a large you know, piece of our work. Um, so in terms of the guide, you know, our, our work in the contract space you know, isn't, you know, actually has very similar origins to, you know, the Sasquit, your resolution that was passed in 2022, and I believe also at other crop commissions where, you know, we were asked by one of our members to look at grain contracts and to explore ways that we can inject more balance into the process. So this was, you know, back in 2013, 2014. So, you know, at the time, uh, you know, we went out, we engaged some legal expertise to help us better understand contracts. Uh, we started collecting contracts contracts to understand what was included in them, a process that, you know, we've continued on to this day, and really to look at, you know, the language, see what terms are, you know, what, what was common between contracts, you know, where there was red flags for farmers, what some of the risks were involved, and then, you know, based on that work, you know, we decided to turn that into a guide and share it more largely with farmers. So that's really the origin of our practical guide to navigating grain contracts. And really, our objective with it is, you know, to increase, you know, transparency in the grain contracting process and, you know, to provide and to empower farmers with information, you know, when they're signing and executing contracts. And, you know, if the guide, you know, can help in our larger conversation about how to create more balance, then, you know, it's also a, an information source to do so. She outlines some of the changes that have been made since the guide's first publication. 
you know, we, we are quite proud to, you know, publish the, the 20, yeah, our, our fourth edition, which we published in, in fall of 2022. Um, the, the new design has a whole new look and, and feel to it. So we really did kind of rebrand it. And it's now, you know, housed on a, a dedicated site called knowyourgrade.ca that we also developed around some grading resources for canola farmers. Um, so the, the, the guide and, you know, what you could expect in some, it's really a compilation of you know our our contract reviews over the years so you know there's different the guide has examples of contract language in it so you know changes of to language that we've seen over the years um, you know legal expertise that we've thought on questions that we've received and it you know the content too is very much evolved based on you know what we've learned from farmers because it's really farmers and their experience on the ground who are out there signing and executing the and executing the contract so that's really kind of what the with the content or how the guide has come to be. Um, so the guide is, you know, it follows a very similar format to a grain contract, you know, where we walk through, you know, what your expectations are for quality. It goes into the delivery terms, you know, the change of location, the ability to extend delivery periods. You know, then it talks a little bit about liquidated damages and around, you know, termination and contract shortfalls and some options that farmers have should they find themselves, you know, in a short situation. So the 2014 guide, you know, um, you know, does include, you know, more questions that grain that farmers can ask their grain companies, you know, includes more information on those production shortfalls, some more expanded language on the different different liquidated damage clauses on the market. So we've really tried to take what we learned in 2021 and um, add it to the guide. It also has an extended section on grading and some of the producer protections that are available to, you know, any, you know, farmers underneath the, the Canadian, um, the Canadian Grain Commission. But I, I think also just, you know, maybe more largely, you know, the contract also, when we started down this route back in, you know, 2014, you know, contracts were, were fairly, they weren't as widespread as they were today. The marketing environment on the prairies was quite different. Um, so I think, you know, 10 years later, close to 10 years later, farmers' awareness of grain contracts and what's included in them has also evolved substantially. Whiteley says it's very important to read through the entire grain contract each and every time. I think one of the most important lessons that, you know, we've learned from our work on grain contracts that it's really important to read your entire grain contract. So that includes both that sales portion and the small print terms and conditions that are often, you know, accompany a contract. And those terms and conditions, you know, lay out both the obligations for the seller and the buyer to execute the grain contract. So it really is important because those terms do contain many of the details that, you know, farmers have questions on, especially around quality, you know, delivery and liquidated damages. Um, so based our, on our analysis over the years, you know, grain contracts, you know, there, there is significant variability between companies on the market. Um, so there is, you know, the potential to shop around and find terms that may work better for your farm. Um, there's also, you know, contract terms can change from year to year and there's, you know, not, you know, um, without notice to um, the farmer itself themselves. So, you know, it just as part of, you know, general farm management, contract management, pro like a practice is just to get into the habit of reading and regular regularly reviewing your grain contract. So either at the start of the crop year, um, it's, you know, as, you know, 
know, the, the new year starts, you know, if you're changing grain buyers or if you're changing commodities, it's just a good practice to, to get into and to fully understand what you're signing um, and what you're understanding and, and agreeing to do. But unfortunately, she says most producers don't read through their contracts. You know, as a contract, it's it's a legal transaction between a buyer and a seller. So statistics on grain contracts are are not regularly available. So we actually have very little knowledge on, you know, the percentage of grain that's forward contracted or how many contracts are signed per year or, you know, types of contracts or, you know, in 2021, we were asked a lot about how many defaults. You know, we don't have that information with the statistics that are available. Um, so that also transcends then to how many farmers read their entire contract. So, you know, there there was a formal survey that was done uh, out of the University of Manitoba, you know, back in 2013, 2014, and repeated in, in 2015, and basically found that about roughly 20% of farmers read their entire grain contract. Uh, and, a, you know, a slightly to maybe a smaller percentage, you know, read none of it. So most farmers, you know, are reading, you know, some or most of it. And um, last week when I was presenting at, at Crossroads in Edmonton, we kind of did a straw poll of the audience and, you know, the respondents, you know, really much supported that where, you know, um, majority of farmers are not reading their entire grain contract. Whiteley notes sometimes there's simply a verbal agreement between a farmer and a grain buyer, and that's not always a good idea. Yeah, so a, a verbal agreement, you know, is considered a legal agreement if it meets certain conditions. But the problem is, is should there be an issue that arises or, you know, if there's a need to recall the negotiation, it really becomes a game of he said, she said. And then, you know, where is the evidence to support either claim? So it's very difficult to kind of prove that that verbal agreement, you know, did occur. I think, moreover, many of the contracts on the market contain something that's known as an entire agreement clause and this clause essentially you know prevents the grain company from being held liable or responsible for any promise or agreement that was made by their grain representative or buyer handler in the country that's not explicitly included in the contract so the agreement needs to be in writing in the contract that's Janelle Whiteley the senior manager of trade and marketing policy with the Canadian canola growers Association we will hear more from Janelle coming up in just a few moments' time. But first, it's time for the Commodities Update, and that's a presentation of Lane Realty. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading down in the nearby months this, uh, this afternoon. Uh, May canola trading at $823 per metric ton. That's down $2.30. July canola trading at 8.1860 down $2.20. May Minneapolis wheat trading at 8.71 and a half down 4 and 3 quarters of a cent. May Kansas City wheat trading at 8.18 and a quarter down 7 and 3 quarters of a cent. May Chicago wheat trading at 7.11 and a half that's down one and a quarter cent. May corn trading at 6.40 and a quarter, up six and a half cents. May soybeans trading at 15.19 and a half, that's up 10 and a quarter cents. May oats trading at 3.31 and a quarter, down two and a quarter cents. 
And that's the commodities update. Now getting back to our interview with the Senior Manager of Trade and Marketing Policy with the Canadian Canola Growers Association, Janelle Whiteley. She's talking about on uh, grain contracts and how to approach them in this day and age. Of course, in 2021, there were a lot of issues when many farmers didn't have enough grain or oilseed to cover their contracts and they had to pay a penalty. As for other events that are happening, she notes grading is a common area of dispute between grain buyers and farmers. Grading is definitely, you know, a question that we hear regularly from farmers, both in terms of what's included in the contract and in grading more generally. Um, so essentially the way that contracts are, are written is, you know, a grain buyer doesn't need to accept, you know, any, you know, a different grade, you know, protein or specification that, you know, is not included in the contract. So it's very much at their sole discretion and for what price or conditions that they offer, you know, at delivery or, you know, when the sale is executed. Um, so it's, it really is important for, you know, farmers to, you know, fully understand, you know, what quality specifications are required for them to execute the contract. Um, so we have the base, you know, grade um, that's, you know, provided by the Canadian Grain Commission that's well understood and it's transparent. But in addition to that, are there other specifications? So, you know, what is the expectation of a falling number? You know, is it, you know, is there something that, you know, farmers are expected to meet? Um, are there spec you know specifications related to mycotoxins such as Dawn? You know, are there crop protection products or varieties that you know will not be permitted in that given crop year? So there's a lot of questions that you know should be asked you know right from the get go to fully understand what you're expected to deliver against or deliver um, to meet the contract specifications. And Whiteley outlines the options producers have when it comes to disputes over crop quality. You know, under the, the Canada Grain Act and Canada Grain Regulations, you know, producers that deliver grain to a primary elevator have the right to a second opinion by the Canadian Grain Commission. Um, and that second opinion could cover grade, moisture, and or dockage. Um, so if a producer, you know, for any reason doesn't agree with one of those three factors, you know, they can ask to have a sample sent to the Canadian Grain Commission for something that's called final quality determination. Um, and then once it's sent to the Grain Commission, it's looked at by one of their inspectors, and then they'll issue the final determination, which the grain um, sale would then be based on. Uh, so the, the the, the program was just changed in the fall, so producers now have up to seven days to ask for a second opinion. Prior to that was right at delivery, so it does add some more flexibility into the process and you know, better reflects you know, um, how delivery is happening in country. So we're pretty happy to see um, those changes. A couple things to watch out for. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be grade moisture and dockage. It could be, you know, if you just disagree with the with the grade, you can just ask for a second opinion on grade. Um, or if you don't, dis if you disagree with the moisture, you could just ask for a second opinion on moisture. It doesn't have to be all three. Uh, the the service is also only available on CGC grades. So things like falling number or dawn, those are considered non CGC quality factors. So those would not fall underneath this this protection or this service. And as well, it's only available at primary elevators. So not so much an issue for wheat farmers, but on canola, anyone that's developing or delivering to a process elevator, you know, does not have right um, to, to this service. Janelle Whiteley is the Senior Manager of Trade and Marketing Policy with the Canadian Canola Growers Association. She was a guest on Sask Wheat's Pre Wheat Profit podcast. 
I'll have more of her interview coming up next week. Please stay tuned. Your Farm Bulletin Board is coming up next. Farm Bulletin Board. It's time now to apply to the Canadian Cattle Young Leaders. Applications are now open for the 2023-2024 program. Looking for young people ages 18 to 35 passionate about the Canadian beef industry. You can visit their website. It's CanadianCattleYoungLeaders.ca. The application deadline for that is March 31st. Don't forget that planning and preparations are underway for the Yorkton 4-H Spring Steer and Heifer Show. It's coming up April 13th through the 15th on the Yorkton Exhibition Grounds. The Saskatchewan Water Security Agency is offering free workshops called Ag H2 Onward to introduce farmers and ranchers to the agricultural water management strategy in Saskatchewan. The workshops explore the process and benefits of obtaining drainage approvals and techniques to best manage water on their land. These free half-day workshops are being offered online and in person until April. Scheduled in-person workshops have already begun. This is the second consecutive year that the Water Security Agency is hosting these workshops. The course covers various types of water management practices such as surface ditches, tile drainage, and wetland consolidation, completing a network project with neighboring landowners, and using a qualified person to assist landowners through the process. For more information, you can call 306-264-7747. And that's today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's now 1 o'clock. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Mainly sunny, winds west-southwest at 20 to 35, and a high of minus 1 degree. For tonight, mainly clear, winds west-southwest at 10 to 15, a low of minus 12. For tomorrow, partly to mainly sunny. Winds west-southwest at 10 to 15, a high of minus 2, a low of minus 14. For Sunday, a 20% chance of early flurries, then mainly cloudy. Winds north at 15 to 25, and a high of minus 8. For Monday, partly sunny, a high of minus 14. And Tuesday, partly sunny, a high of minus 12. In the Paw and Roblin, it's minus 5 degrees. Swan River and Brandon are at minus 3. Dauphin minus 2. Show Lake Russell minus 4. Regina and Broadview Mooseman are at minus 4. Saskatoon minus 6. Hudson Bay minus 1. Indian Head, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington minus 5. The Yorkton Melville region has a mainly sunny sky. A west-northwest wind at 32 kilometers an hour. 72% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 3 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 11 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. 
Be sure to tune in again on Monday at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines 